Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The New Statesman. Hi, I'm Anoush. I'm Rachel. And I'm Freddie. And welcome to the New Statesman podcast. This is an episode we like to call You Ask Us. Hello, I'm Anoush Shekelian, Britain editor at the New Statesman and host of this podcast. And joining me in the studio, I have Rachel Cunliffe, our associate political editor, and Freddie Hayward, our political correspondent. And we've been digging around in our virtual mailbag of questions, and you've each brought a couple of questions to discuss. As usual, Rachel, um, which question have you picked? Here is a question from Elliot, who wrote in to say, A widespread view is that there is little distance between Sunak and Starmer, despite differences in policy and orientation. Have we learned, after a decade or so of performative anti-politics, Farage, Johnson, Trump, Bolsonaro, etc., to compare style rather than substance? I like this question. Um, And I do appreciate that our questioner mentions Boris Johnson because um, I think this style versus substance confusion goes back to Johnson. Because do you remember when he was prime minister, he was often lumped in with Trump and other populist Mm. leaders that were taking leadership of countries and also opposition parties around the world at the time. Actually, he was really different in substance. He might have been quite similar in style in terms of sort of having a loose relationship with the truth and being outrageous and saying things that, you know, other people might not say. Colourful language. Yeah, but he was really different. You know, he was he was very um, pro-climate policies. He was pro-immigration. He was liberal on things like multiculturalism. I think the perfect summation of him and why he's different from those kind of leaders that he was often um, sort of characterised as being similar to was that Telegraph column where he used the offensive language of calling women in burqas um, bank robbers and letterboxes, but it was in a column arguing for them to be able to wear the religious headwear that, that, that they were. Um, and so I thought that was that was sort of when people started eliding style and substance in a really simplistic way. And I do think it's happening with Starmer and Sunak as well. Freddie, what do you think? I think you're right. I mean, I do think that Boris Johnson's style also related to his politics in some way, his sort of bombastic, uh, constantly changing, uh, adaptable uh, style was also reflected in some of his politics because they would move around and change based on the circumstances and based on what he needed to do uh, to press ahead in politics. But you're right, I think people did allied him with these other populist figures around the world. I mean, the questioner uses the words anti-politics. I mean, I would push back on that. I don't think populism or Farage, Johnson, Trump, they're not anti-politics. I mean, in many ways, I'll say that it's the centrists, it's the, the sensibles who are much more anti-politics. They're the ones who sort of speak about and advocate this technocratic um, conception of politics where we just leave it all to the experts or the OBR or whatever it is uh, and you don't engage with the substance of it. So 
I mean, I think they're much more political figures in many ways. Yeah. They're almost pure politicians in the sense that they do rely on that sort of slippery pragmatism. Well, at least they have some sense of dialectic and argument and conflict. So I think that there are actually three separate things here. Mm. One is policies and populist policies. So things that are designed to uh, whip up unease about minority groups or turning things like climate change into a culture war. Um, And I think, Anish, you're absolutely right that Boris Johnson didn't go down that route with, on, the, on the policy side. And I, I also found it very lazy when people compared him to Trump simply because they they, they both have quite distinctive blonde hair. hair. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, then there's the style point, which is kind of being able to connect with big audiences. I mean, I, I'd say that Boris Johnson maybe not now, although possibly even now, would be able to sell out a much bigger venue than like virtually any other person in British politics today. I think he's just done it today. in Australia this week. Has he, got, has yeah, he had a rally? He's, he's yeah. got a, a stadium or something. And you look at the Trump rallies and people like want to come hear them speak. So there's that kind of engaging speech rhetorical style. But I think there's a third thing, which is about institutions and respect for political norms, precedents, principles. And one of the things that Trump, showed in America was that all of these assumptions that people had about the way the American system of government works and who does which job and can the executive override Congress or what's the role of the judiciary, he just kind of went, what if we didn't follow those rules? Let's see what happens. And what America is dealing with now is what happens if you don't follow those rules? And obviously, we've got a very different political system. And I do hate the Americanization. And when we say, like, haven't got the separation of powers in the in the UK, and it's all very different here. But things like, I can't get my Brexit deal through Parliament, so I will prorogue Parliament. And that was a change in attitude towards Britain's institutions. You can see it also very, very much with the attacks on the courts here, lawyers, activist lawyers, the idea that the Supreme Court is getting in the way of um, Parliament's sovereign right to pass whatever laws. We've seen that with Rwanda. You can see it with the attacks on the civil service as well. The idea that there's this kind of deep state of unelected judges, bureaucrats, lawyers, officials who we can blame stuff on them or they might be working at odds with the government and, and Parliament. You just can't imagine David Cameron using those words and and going down that route. And I think that is an interesting distinction. You can have people who are politically very aligned, but have very different attitudes to the respects that we should owe political institutions. Mm. Yes. And, and one of the, the, the main points of our question um, was about the distance between Sunak and Starmer. And obviously, they're both seen as mild mannered managerial kind of politicians who look, you know, the part in a suit, but they are very different substance wise. And we can go into all of the difference between their sort of out, political outlooks and their policies. But I don't think we have time in this question. Yeah, no, I, they are Similar. I mean, they wear a suit. People always use the word suits. Everyone in Parliament wears a suit <laughs> uh, because you, they have to in the in the chamber. So I don't think we should necessarily focus on that yet. But they are presentable. They speak in a certain way. They do speak as if they've been in institutions for all their lives, which they have been. So they don't have, as you were talking, Rachel, this rhetorical uh, flourish that people find attractive. And I think part of the Boris Johnson uh, splendor was the elision of politics and entertainment. Mm. Uh, but yeah, there is there is a substantial difference maybe we could debate how far that is i mean we don't want to get into that as you say anoush but yeah i mean it is there uh but i think going back to rachel's point about the institutions 
it's not as if debate over our institutions and our constitution shouldn't be part of politics or part of the debate because sometimes you know, politicians create new institutions, whether it is the OBR or whatever yeah. it may be, um, or the privatisation of the Bank of England, et cetera, et cetera. So you can always, I think, debate these things. And it's not as if just because you raise them as an issue or you're saying that parts of the state are being... Uh, obstructionist means that you're anti-politics or populist necessarily. Yeah, and of course constitutional change is part of that and that's exactly. one of Starmer's focuses. After the break, Freddie, it's your turn to read out your question. Can you give us a clue about it? Yes, we're going to take this week's Rwanda debate and look at it in a broader context. Great. Do you need a gift that's priceless? Liberal, free-thinking journalism has never been more important. Give the stories and the perspectives that matter with 20% off our gift subscriptions this holiday season. View the link on the show notes to save 20%. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So, Freddie, what's your question? Okay, my question is from Adam, who asks, even in the height of the Brexit drama, UKIP and the Brexit party have never managed to get a parliamentary seat. Is Rishi and separately the right of the Tory party overestimating the threat from the right? Okay, so we can talk about a number of different things in this question. So should we start with the internal right Mm. of the party first? Um, And then we can move on to sort of the Brexit successor party reform. Um, it's quite misleading to just talk about the Tory right, isn't it? Because there, there are these different right factions that all that are all quite different from each other philosophically. And I think the example I often give to people is like the Bravermanites are very different from the Trussites. As our listeners with good memories will remember when Braverman first had to leave the cabinet over breaching the ministerial code, it was because she leaked documents about Truss's plans to increase immigration, to boost growth. Um, and so there's a difference between those who, you know, have more of the mindset of uh, uh, keeping sort of British jobs for for British workers and those who, you know, have more of a free market outlook and, you know, say, well, you know, this, we're, we're part of a global marketplace. So that that's one key difference between two of those groups. But actually, we've found out this week in the week of the Rwanda bill um, that there are actually five families in a mafia reference of, of right wing um, groups of right wing MPs who have their different issues with that bill. Rachel, can you tell us who they yeah, are? I don't. I don't like the term five families. I think it's it's sort of injecting the entertainment drama into mm. Westminster where it is not needed. Um, but there are five groups. There is a lot of overlap between them, and I think that that is really important. But when we talk about the Tory right, what we really mean is the Brexity faction. Okay. And what unites all of these five factions is they're quite... Brexity. So you've got the ERG, who are the original Brexiteers, the ones who um, brought down Theresa May, essentially. Uh, that sounds for European Research Group. Yeah. You've got the Common Sense Group, which is uh, sort of inspired by the ERG, but on policies like culture war issues, um, Britain's history, trans rights, that kind of gender ideology, that sort of space that the Conservatives think that they can 
sort of really exploit those sort of culture war differences. You've got the conservative growth group who are the Trussites. They're the free market uh, libertarian economists who basically just want tax cuts, low regulation and think that Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng, they're strategy was right, even if it was implemented poorly. You've got the new Conservatives, who everyone's very excited about, Danny Kruger, Miriam Cates, who are this kind of um, socially conservative, traditionalist sort of grouping, interestingly, quite left-wing on some economic issues. Yeah, because they're sort of pro-intervention in people's lives, aren't they? But yeah. to a sort of aim of a more traditional society. And also pro, like, more state spending on the NHS, for example, but just like more fewer immigrants so that there are less pressures on social on public services and then finally you've got the northern research group which uh, again came out of this leveling up brexity coalition yeah. when the conservatives realized that they had a lot of seats they hadn't previously had again there is a lot of overlap between them in who goes between them. so so um swella bravman was erg is now associated with the new conservatives right um is obviously very Brexity, but she's Brexity in a different way from, say, Steve Baker uh, or uh, people like Simon Clark, who was in Liz Truss's cabinet, who was talked about very briefly as somebody that the right could unite against. And what's interesting unite about unite around, unite around, yes, <laughs> sorry, don't make unite. it more complicated than it needs to be. Rachel. Unite around. <laughs> um, they don't agree with each other on a lot of things. And I think if you look at how it was that Sunak was able to get his Rwanda bill to pass, part of it is that they agree that we should be tougher about Brexit and we should be tougher on immigration, but they don't particularly like each other. There isn't a unifying figure on the right. And when it comes to okay. policies around all kinds of other things, there is a lot of disagreement and antagonism but I feel like we've turned it into five families rather than I would say probably two or three right, okay. vague groupings because it's a mafia reference and it sounds cool yeah <laughs> and there's been this nostalgia that's sort of gripped Westminster yeah. in the past few days for the excitement of the Brexit years you had MPs sort of burrowing into committee rooms and little pool clips coming out outside of Portcullis House there was this excitement I think everyone got a little too excited, perhaps, just because they wanted that, you know, what they had in the past. The muscle the, memory of that yeah, time. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But the, it's a great question in part because we should always remember that Reform, Brexit Party, UKIP have always exercised their power through influence over the right of the Tory party. And whenever you speak to the right, those MPs on the right, there's a, a constant little ticker in their head that's going, OK, what's Nigel Farage doing? How close is he? How much of a threat is he? Um, and same with number 10 as well. You know, I think... David Cameron, I can't remember, I think he said in his memoir, there wasn't a week that passed they didn't think about the right of the Tory party. Yeah. By extension, they're also thinking about um, UKIP and whether they're going to be taking some seats or taking votes and whether they're going to be influencing the policy debate that they're currently having. So Nigel Farage has just returned back from the jungle and there's some debate over about whether that was a, a success for him and um, reform UK or not. Uh, but I think definitely regardless of whether he's got massive support within the country, he shapes the debates within the Conservative Party every single day. And the question says that they, UKIP and the Brexit Party never managed to get a parliamentary seat. UKIP did have two MPs in yeah. 2014 because yeah, they had defected, Douglas Carswell and, and Mark Reckless. And obviously they both lost their seats in the next election. But that was sort of showing what UKIP's influence could be and that they were 
winning support off Conservative MPs. They got defections. Reform hasn't had any defections, and I think that's unlikely. But Richard Tice and Nigel Farage have said that they want to stand MPs in all seats. I, I interviewed Richard Tice a couple of months ago and, and he sort of made that very clear and that they are not going to stand back in Conservative seats. They they want to win votes off the Tories. And when we talk about how much of a threat they are, they're not going to overtake the Tories in, in polling at all. Like, that's never going to happen. Uh, and they're not going to probably, I, I would say, win any seats themselves. But if it's a tight race between Conservative and Labour and you've got 10% of what would have been the Conservatives vote voting for reform instead, that splitting of the right-wing vote could be really, really dangerous to the Tories. And in the two by-elections that we had in October, Tamworth and Mid-Bedfordshire, um, reform won more votes than was the Labour majority over the Tories. So you could say if reform hadn't been there would the Tories have won those seats? Now, that, that, that's assuming that everyone who voted for reform would have voted for, for Conservatives. And obviously, there's a lot of other things in play there, namely the Lib Dems in mid-Bedfordshire. But you can see that vote splitting as a phenomenon that would be very worrying if you were Rishi Sunak. Yeah, something that I've picked up when I've been going around by-elections that you speak about, Rachel, is that sometimes people say they will vote for reform without knowing that they are the alternative right-wing party because just the word reform sounds quite appealing. Mm-hmm. It's a, I think it's similar. It's a similar effect to what's happening with the Greens in some places where people think, actually, I quite like the environment, so I'll vote yeah. Green, and they don't know a huge amount about the policy platform. And this isn't to denigrate any any voters you know it is you know some of these a lot of these decisions are made on gut feeling and it's you know the party's strength if they brand themselves in a way that is attractive but i do think that you can't necessarily translate reform votes into what would have been conservative votes in every instance no but it's interesting isn't it when you have a single issue party or what seems to be a single issue party whether it's green or the brexit party or reform the people with disparate political views often attach themselves to that single issue and therefore yeah. you get these quite strange, uh, unexpected coalitions of people. I mean, I think it's interesting that Reform have recently, I think, changed their name to Reform UK Brexit Party. So they're trying to reclaim that legacy, yeah. that heritage, uh, perhaps that that mission of of Brexit that I think Reform has lacked. But, you know, Reform's platform is very much, let's reform public services, yeah. let's cut taxes, let's cut immigration. Yeah, It's quite a simple message. Um, and it's interesting just in the past you know, two, three weeks that their their polling numbers have increased, in part, I think, because the Conservatives are focused so much on the Rwanda deal and on immigration at the same time. And as a consequence, they've been focusing on their own failure. So therefore, people are looking elsewhere. Well, thanks so much for your questions and thanks to everyone who submitted one. We do read them all, so please keep them coming in. If you'd like to send one, you can go to newstatesman.com forward slash youaskus. And if you're listening on Spotify, just scroll down on the episode page and leave a reply. And YouTube viewers can drop a question in the comments. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anusha Kellyan, and my colleagues, Rachel Cunliffe and Freddie Hayward. We'll be back next week with a New Statesman Christmas special. This episode was produced by Catherine Hughes.